step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Straight Talk Radio, where we discuss business, politics, and culture. This is Donya Keating. I'm your host, coming to you live from the Seattle area. It's about 2.30 p.m. Pacific Daylight Time on Friday, July 28th. Listeners, if you're out there, you can dial 602-753-1970. CJ's out there. She'll patch you in for live on-air questions or comments. And uh, you can raise your hand by pressing one of your keypad. It kind of lets us know that you're not just listening and that you want to make some comments. Uh, There's also a chat option that's out there. She's operating. It's on the moderated uh, feature. But it gets all of that information or questions or comments sent my way. And don't feel left out uh, if you don't see your question come up. I mean, it might be something we're going to address or something that someone else has already addressed. So, Um, Today, we are speaking with a candidate for city council on Bainbridge Island from the South Ward. Um, We'll also have another um, council member candidate on Monday, I hear, at about 1 p.m. from the Central Ward. But a quick comment, um, given some private messages that CJ received on our Facebook page about that. So it was criticizing us for apparently picking and choosing who we want to engage on our showcase or on our our show. And, you know, that's not what happened here. Uh, Charles is on our show occasionally. He reached out to us to see if we wanted to schedule some broadcast, and we're open to that from him or anyone else that's out there in our audience or community. So instead of taking us to task for being responsive to a feedback loop we've been encouraging forever since this show has started, why don't whoever's out there writing us, why don't you recommend and facilitate getting the candidate that you want to hear on our show? Seems reasonable. Um, Today, again, as I mentioned, all listeners are welcome to call in. You can send your comments and questions via chat. Um, You can do it live. Strong opinions are always welcome here. I mean, we're straight talk after all, but crazy is going to get airlocked. We don't have time for it. So let me move over to um, the studio and see who's online. Hello, who do I have here? Hey, Donut, it's Matt Tierman. How are you? Hi, Matt. How are you? Great. Welcome to I'm the show. I'm doing great. Like Thank I... you for having me on. Well, thanks for being on. I mean, I'm looking forward to talking with you today. Let's see. Who else do we have out here? I think Charles wanted to hang out with you today. Is this you, Charles? Yes. Hi. Awesome. Okay, Charles let's get to it. Uh, Matt, why don't you – do you prefer Matt? Matthew, do you care? Matt's absolutely fine. Okay. So tell us a little bit about yourself, your bio, your background. What are some of the highlights? Sure, sure. So um, uh, originally from uh, New Hampshire and uh, by way of uh, going to school in, uh, in North Carolina, um, studied political science down there, was uh, pretty active in um, environmental advocacy and, uh, and campaigning uh, back then, 
did some work with uh, local environmental justice groups in uh, eastern North Carolina. Spent time during my summers in college working for the uh, Massachusetts Public Interest Research Group on passing safe beach legis uh, legislation. So I've had a uh, kind of a long history of uh, public service and uh, uh, activist involvement. Um, after that, I, uh, I went to uh, school over in, uh, in the UK where I met my uh, wife in, uh, in graduate school. And uh, from there, we spent about 10 years in D.C. where I, I worked in a variety of roles for uh, the U.S. military as a uh, speechwriter for the commanding general of the Army Reserve. Uh, spent around six months uh, writing speeches and drafting strategy for the U.S. forces in Iraq and uh, spent time after that in uh, some consulting roles and eventually ended up starting my uh, my own company with a couple of other partners, which we had for about uh, about six years. We did work in the uh, technology and services space all around the world, grew that into about a 400-person company and sold that in 2014. And uh, since then, I run a cybersecurity company and uh, did some investment work overseas. And uh, today, uh, I'm the chief commercial officer of Planet Risk, and we do uh, big data consulting and uh, product. Great, great. Uh, Charles, you want to give a quick blurb about yourself? Well, I'm uh, head of Weston Technology Association, and I'm trying to get out of that role out of the last seven years or so. And uh, I'm an IT consultant, and I've met Matt in the past. Uh, actually, it was around the technology sector. So when he stepped up to be a candidate at city council, I thought, well, this, this is awesome. So we want uh, we want more people getting engaged. All right. There's kind of a little echo on your line wherever you are, so if you can go into a quieter space, that'd be great. Um, anyway, Matt, what was the spark that made you decide to run for city council? Was there a specific incident or issue, or was it just cumulative? Yeah, I, I think it was probably more cumulative more than, uh, more than anything. We moved here in uh, 2012, and um, you know, drawn by I think why many people end up moving to Bainbridge Island for the the natural beauty, the uh, the close connection to uh, you know a major metropolitan city, um, but kind of all the trappings of uh, of a great small town. And uh, you know, I, I think over the past you know couple years, I've noticed a few things on on city council and uh, within our local community that I felt that um, I could have a positive impact on and. Um, you know, primarily around uh, really thinking through what it means to have for our residents to have a kind of a full quality of life here, and, and we can talk more about that. And then the second piece would probably be uh, more the fiscal responsibility and the priorities of what our of what our city council should be focused on. I feel like there's definitely been a, a bit of a, a strategic drift on our council, um, trying to do too much overreach and not really focusing on the core of what uh, of what a city council is there to do: deliver uh, um, public safety, health and uh you know in general um <laughs> general city upkeep and uh, and that's just not getting done i think we've we've had too much overreach mhm mm okay so let's talk about those issues um on your website you have transportation and mobility infrastructure and capital projects environment economic development uh, housing and development enhanced quality of life for all and public safety safety and so those are not alphabetical so i'm are we assuming that that's a priority listing or is it just what came to mind when you were writing that down no it's it's certainly not a priority listing um i think it's uh it's it's an evolution of kind of where my my thinking's at and i think if you'll you know if you if you follow the website and, and my facebook uh um, page um, fairly regularly, you'll see evolved uh, thinking on my policy positions. So, for example, the the housing and development page um, has recently been updated. Uh, I think really hitting upon from what I'm hearing from the community, 
um, and from uh, from others in the in the community, such as Housing Resources Bainbridge, the the real need uh, that we have to address this issue. So, you know, I, I think they we're we're a small city. We we have a, a finite amount a finite amount of resources. We can't do it all, uh, so we have to prioritize. But you know, housing and development um, is absolutely up there at the top of my uh, my priority list for sure. Okay, yeah, I just wanted to throw that out there. So let's just start with uh, some of the issues. And you actually led with this one, so I'm gonna. It's a, one of the big ones sure. that keeps popping up. Environment. Um, the question that's being put to all candidates on Facebook, and I, I you know, I kind of uh, lurk there and, and don't spend a lot of time there deliberately, but it's about the recent Island Power Initiative. And you came straight out with your position on this, which, frankly, I think a lot of us really respect, um, and it hasn't been done by other candidates. So let's talk about where you stand um, on that. So you indicated that it's critical for Bainbridge Island to work with other municipal customers to pressure PSC to drastically reduce its reliance on fossil fuels. I mean, kind of a no-brainer in, on Bainbridge Island. I don't know why there's any kind of rhetoric out there that suggests that none of us here agree with that. But you also reference building a strong coalition that will bring about meaningful and substantive change to their energy mix. So explain that. Yeah, sure. And, and just to step back, I mean, I, and I think it's important regardless of, of whatever issue. And I, I think, you know, you're going to find that all the candidates who are running, no one's an expert, you know, in, in all these um, areas and issues. Um, but I, I think the, you know, for me, and the one thing that I'll commit to, and I think I have committed to, and I'd say that if any voter or anyone sees that I'm not, they need to call me out on it is, you know, I should be able to give you at least where where my gut is at the moment on any issue um, and then have a, a promise to follow up in a meaningful amount of time um, on getting an answer. Uh, but back to your, your question on island power, um, I, I think it is – I think the the whole debate, um, you know, was a, a large waste of time for our community. Um, I've come, I came out firmly against the uh, municipalization effort um, on uh, on a couple of reasons, primarily around um, the uh, the cost uh, the cost issue um, over the life of the uh, the project. Um, I think the return on investment just wasn't there, uh, never was there, and then most fundamentally. Um, you know, I think anyone that spent, uh, you know, a day running a small business or a large business would know that, uh, you know, the assets weren't for sale. This would have been a large, uh, expensive, hostile takeover um, of a very well-funded um, private equity-backed company's uh, assets. And I, I don't think our council, I don't think Island Power thought through, as well-intentioned as they were, thought through the, uh, the ramifications to our general fund um, our credit rating, which we've now just gone back as a city, and and frankly, a reputation too. You know, there's a perception and reputational uh, issue here. So, you know, I, we need to, you know, we need to kind of have a rethink about how we want to work with PSE moving forward. And, and to me, it needs to be, you know, focused on, you know, a couple of approaches. The first being on reliability. You know, overwhelmingly here on the island, our our citizens want reliable internet, right? And we we get a lot of winter storms that come through. I'm sorry, reliable power. We want um, you know, we want to keep, uh, you know, keep our uh, uh, electricity, uh, you know, our uptime where it should be. Um, so that requires investment in our infrastructure, and that requires a, uh, at least a collaborative relationship with PSE moving forward. That doesn't mean uh, that we don't hold them to account, and I think we should. And But we're a small island of 24,000 people, and to, to do that, we need to have scale. So what I suggested is we need to work with King County, uh, Seattle, Bellevue, other municipalities. We need to work with the large corporations in the region um, that get their power from PSE and, and get together and, and figure out ways in which we can hold them account as 
a, a large block and say, look, you know, we need to see these targets being met. And if they're not going to be met, collectively as a group, we're going to be stronger in, um, in pushing our agenda forward. So what criteria would you propose to assess or evaluate their progress, and under what conditions, if any, would you as a city council member determine the status of the franchise agreement that's coming up for um, renewal in 2022? Yeah, yeah, I, I think we, you know, I think we need to come up with a unified, uh, you know, a uh, unified standard that, um, you know, that uh, that looks at, um, you know, holding, to, holding them to account on shutting down uh, coal strip, on hitting certain renewable energy mix targets. Uh, one way that we can participate in that is by using the uh, participating in the Green Direct program. And unfortunately, because of our contentious relationship with PSE um, over the uh, the past couple of years, you know, we were only invited to participate in Green Direct um, only about a month or so back when it was 99% subscribed. So we're going to have to wait all the way until May of 2018 to get our 40 kilowatt hours of renewable energy from PSE and the Green Direct program. And I, I think that's a real shame because it's, it's, a small, it's a small step, but it's a step. And it's one of those activities and one of those initiatives that, again, is within the, the grasp and realm of our, uh, our city council. And it's, uh, I feel like it's a missed opportunity. But for those that are listening and that may not know what Green Direct is, it's PSC's program. It's it's a project that sells bundled new renewable energy or power to municipal customers and also eligible large corporate customers that use more than about 10 million kilowatt hours per year. And it's for the development of a new wind pro, uh, project in South Central Washington, which is going to be built by I think 2019. And so PSC enters into a uh, purchase power agreement or a PPA um, with the same developer that built its other three wind farms. And so that's what that project. Is um, solar choice is another one. Actually, it came online last year, and it replaces um, coal-fired plants in Idaho's Treasure Valley, Valley area, and it covers over 600 acres. It's among the largest in the country, and it serves more than 17,000 homes. Um, and also, I mean, obviously, here throughout the island power debate, um, some consider this greenwashing and inconsequential um, on the part of PSC. So, obviously, you know, you and other candidates, Matt, have said that you thought it was a, a good first step. But you know, to get more specific, I mean, would you do something or go as far? as recommending or requiring PSE to drop their current lawsuit against the Department of Ecology over the clean air rule as a precondition of renewing their agreement or something like that. I, I was sent a comment from Facebook about that, asking a candidate if they would, and I thought that was a, a very interesting thing to ask. Well, again, I <laughs> I think it is an interesting thing to ask, and you know, I think specifically I haven't, I haven't thought about that exact uh, tactic um, primarily Primarily because I, I think that's a, you know, going into any um, discussion, uh, you know, with, you know, be it a, a government or, or with a, uh, a large corporation like PSE, um, I'm not sure um, that after uh, the kind of the contentious few years that we've had, that's the right way to, to start off. I, I would say that we need to go in thinking about um, what PSE can do to increase our reliability on the island help build our infrastructure. Um, and, and I think as we get closer to the franchise agreement date, we need to put, um, you know, a lot of different options on the, uh, on the table. But again, you know, being a, a relatively small municipality, our voice is not going to be um, as impressive um, uh, if we, uh, um, rather if we would work with other municipalities to come together um, and, uh, and go at PSE in a, in a much more coordinated fashion. I, I think that would um, that would weigh, um, you know, that would weigh a lot heavier on uh, on PSE's uh, mind, and I, I think that, you know, I've uh, and one thing about the campaign that I'm running is I'm trying to meet with everyone. 
so I, I've actually met with um, Puget Sound Energy this week to understand uh, kind of what their priorities are and, uh, and how we can best work with them. And it doesn't mean we look the other way and don't hold them to account on their, um, on their reliance on fossil fuels, but it does mean that we have um, citizens on this island that want greater reliability. reliability. They want to see how we can directly reduce our own carbon footprint here. And I think working with PSE, we can, we can achieve some of those goals. Yeah, and I appreciate your comments, and I think that, you know, when you look back on the comment or the question I just pro- proposed to you about the clean air rule and so forth, I mean, it's important for people to realize what the facts are. I mean, they're not the only plaintiff in this, so it's not like they can just go out and drop a lawsuit um, without taking into account the position of those other plaintiffs. So it, it also goes back to, you know, looking at the information, being accurate about it, and then, you know, forming your strategy from there. So, Charles, did you have any questions that you wanted to ask Matt before I move on to another topic? No, I was going to say uh, I appreciate your uh, thoughts about the uh, energy network, and uh, that was one of the primary reasons I opposed it. You know, the, the argument's been def- uh, framed that anybody who doesn't believe in, uh, you know, public power, island power, is against clean energy, and that's just wrong. It's just that they tend to ignore the fact that in order to do what they propose, you have to go through this expensive litigation process. And there's there's this idea that any ends justify the means and that's absolutely not the kind of thinking you want to have when you're going into city council you want to think about what's best for the citizens not just what's somebody's idea of what they think should be right but looking at the bigger picture and saying look should we be spending millions on litigation and things like that absolutely not and we should engage psc and i think the idea that we can work with psc has been out there for a long time and they've They've unfortunately ran into a lot of roadblocks on Bainbridge Island, and I think we're trying to find, and I think one of the people that uh, Bainbridge, they want to find people that are going to be more cooperative and think about things more strategically and not just, you know, let me have an idea and let me fight everybody on it. And that's just, uh, we're looking for that cooperative spirit. And I think you've, Matt, you so far you've embodied that, and I think that's, I like the way you're thinking and the way you're approaching the problems. Well, I I appreciate that, and you know I, I think I would just say too that you know the 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 fact that we would have to proceed down that process of condemnation, and you know I, when you look at the the range of legal estimates, anywhere from six to eight million dollars potentially to um, to litigate and to uh, uh, to bring this to fruition, uh, that's a you know right now that would be more than uh, than half of our uh, general fund reserve at the end of this year but if you think about the other priorities we have on this island which i'm i'm sure you're guessing that you'll get to uh, later donna uh, donia but um, yes. yeah it's uh, it, it just seems myopic and uh, and you're right it doesn't mean that we don't care uh, about the environment or wanting to reduce greenhouse gases and uh, I, I i just hope we can kind of get away from this uh, that that tribalistic politic um uh, the mentality uh, in this in this election season and hopefully moving forward. We just had a question asking us who the uh, plaintiffs are in the clean air rule, um, the lawsuit that was filed. So I'll just quickly go over a couple of things. Um, Puget Sound Energy, obviously, is one of them. Uh, Northwest Natural Natural Gas Company, I think Cascade Natural Gas, and Avista Corporation, they're all the co-plaintiffs. And their claim is basically that the clean air rule discriminates against interstate commerce um, and regulates extraterritorially and unduly burdens interstate commerce, blah, 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 and which deprives them of the rights or privileges secured by the Constitution. I think that that's kind of a stretch, but even, um, you know, the Department of um, 
it, it, even they agree on a certain level uh, of ecology with the first part of the, the reason for the lawsuit, and they have kind of anticipated it. Um, under the new rule that's being proposed, I think businesses that are responsible for a certain um, quality of metric tons of carbon pollution will be required to cap and gradually reduce that, obviously. And if they can't, um, they have to develop a project that reduces their carbon pollution, or they have to buy carbon credits from others or from other approved carbon markets. And the crux of the legal brief, um, if you read it, is whether the utilities should be able to purchase emission reductions units, which are ERUs, um, throughout of, um, out of state programs, which allow utilities to comply with CAR um, by doing that. And so the lawsuit claims that there are not enough emission reduction units for the utilities to comply, um, which might drive them to seek less clean energy out of state and so forth. So, of course, there's a push for clean energy and reduced emissions here, rightfully so, but there's also a great deal of spend regarding why the suit was brought in the first place. You know, that's, that's my take on it anyway. So um, next, next subject here, affordable housing. Um, obviously, we have an issue on island where many are increasingly unable to afford or even moving here. And, Matt, you mentioned being a voice of reason and developing a plan that favors residents and homeowners instead of developers and being able to say no or put the brakes on reckless development that threatens their environment or our character um, in our community. So what does that mean when the pedal hits the metal? Yeah, you know, just in, to that point specifically, um, you know, I, I think you just you just need to drive around Bainbridge and, um, and see, uh, you know, a bunch of new developments going up um, near downtown. And, uh, you know, these are, you know, these are suburban-looking, um, million-dollar-plus um, single-family homes. Um, as you head into uh, downtown, uh, there's the new um, Bainbridge Landing Apartments going in. Uh, I believe the number over the past two years since the, um, um, the redraft of the housing development plan came into place is more than 150 units uh, have gone in or have been developed. Um, but under, the, uh, under that housing development plan, developers have the option of going the, uh, the green route or going the affordable housing route. And each and every mm -hmm. time they've gone the green route. And I guess my contention is, um, especially to your point, is you know I I personally you know I'm gonna I'm gonna call BS on on this, and uh, I hope others will too. And uh, you know and, and as we look toward actual um, ordinance um, related solutions that can um, you know instead provide more of a um, uh, I would say a legal mandate that requires developers to put in. Um, affordable housing um, or provide other incentives for them to do so, it's not going to happen. They're going to go the, the easy route each and every time. Well, it's interesting you bring that up because, you know, this this uh, community prides itself on its environmental stewardship, and it actually talks a lot more about that. I mean, affordable housing does come up, but, you know, to a certain extent, some people argue that it's lip service. And the reason why we're able to get uh, a lot of these green building uh, projects in is because that's what ultimately we say that we really want. And it, it, we've never been a really diverse community, so it, it's kind of an interesting um, debate to see uh, go back and forth in our community. Are there examples of successful affordable housing strategies or policies that you'll be recommending or advocating? Yeah, I, I think there are, and I, I don't think you have to look um, too far either. I mean, Housing Resources Bainbridge has done a, a fantastic job um, with the properties that they've brought online in Ferncliff and, and others that they manage. Um, the issue is, is more supply. Um, I had a chance to meet with um, their team earlier this week, and you know I, I was blown away at the uh, at the demand. You know, just in the past uh, quarter, they had more than 100 walk-in requests for uh, affordable housing here on the island from residents. And these are not, you know, th these residents they span the the socioeconomic um, scale. And uh, you know, it, they said you'd be amazed to see. 
the number of, number of double-income families that walk in here uh, saying that they, they are in a, a housing crisis. Um, so we don't need to look far for, I think, solid examples uh, right before us here on the island. Um, you don't have to go far and, and see on Vashon what they've done and changing their ordinate, um, their zoning laws to allow for um, smaller homes, um, tiny homes, and innovative uh, micro-homing solutions um, there. There's no reason why we couldn't think uh, thoughtfully about how we rezone and account for um, modest-sized, tiny homes for um, for families. So uh, I, I think that's uh, you know that's certainly uh, you know one uh, one option that we could take is looking at the uh, outdated uh, code enforcement, allowing um, homeowners to uh, you know uh, a six-month holiday to repair their uh, their ADUs to get them up to code, um, using existing land and existing space. Um, available now um, to address the affordable housing crisis to me is, is the path of uh, least resistance. San Francisco is obviously expensive. You know, part of the Silicon Valley explosion that's clearly been migrating to Seattle, and by virtue of that, it's going to be Bainbridge and other outlying areas here. And the Board of Supervisors there approved amendments to a law that was aimed at increasing the percentage of below-market-rate housing, um, including the new developments. It's part of the inclusionary housing program there that requires developers who create 10 or more units to either pay an affordable housing fee or set aside a portion of uh, BMR units for low- and middle-income residents. And these changes kind of amend their existing Proposition C, which increased their requirements for affordable housing on developments with 25 or more units and was approved by voters last June. So, I mean, obviously, when you start talking about things that, that we want to do as a community, have to have the city council leading the charge in a lot of ways, but also have the cooperation of voters that are willing to approve that. Um, and and on, the, on, the counter, on the counter side, not to run over you here, I mean, I've seen some Facebook debate about this and the belief that there's never going to be any leverage to induce a developer to invest or build in a situation where it may not realize a profit. Um, are you familiar with what happened with Bremerton days ago? Uh, in, I'm, not, I'm not quite sure what you're uh, speaking of, so no. Days ago, the city planners in Bremerton um, tried to ease stress on the rental market because they're actually being impacted as well. Um, but it was voted down by the city council. I think it was a 4-3 vote. And they actually tightened the code related to owners who rent second homes or ADUs on their property. They required them to live at home year-round. It used to be six months a year that, out of the year that they had to do that. And so the amendment that was on the table for the ADU ordinance was suggesting waiving the owner-occupancy requirement entirely so they could open up more rental stock, obviously, and make Make extra, extra dwellings available and more attractive to build. But you know, this is Bremerton, where they have an area where only 15 ADUs have been approved since 2007, and the ongoing dilemma there is absentee landlords who've had a negative impact on existing neighborhoods. So I'm curious, you know, when we talk about ADUs and tiny homes here, would you propose residency or other restrictions on ADUs? I mean, how would you keep this community from replicating what just happened in Bremerton? Yeah, and that's a and that's a great point. And you know, I think on the on the ADU side too. I mean, you want to avoid kind of the the Airbnbization of uh, of any of um, uh, of any of these well-intended measures to um, you know allow for um, uh, folks to go in and rent properties um, full time. So I, I think you'd have to put in um, you'd have to put in safeguards to ensure um, that the uh, these properties, if we were going to give a holiday to allow folks to fix up their uh, their ADUs and get them up to code, uh, we'd have to stipulate how they, you know, how they potentially uh, could be utilized. Um, so I think that's one that's one way that one track that we need to head down. Um, 
But as well, too, I, you know, we're, we're going to have in 2018 most likely an affordable housing levy in Kitsap County. Um, that's going to, uh, again, potentially be yet another hit to um, to the property taxes of uh, of owners here um, on the island, and that has a, obviously a direct impact on seniors, um, low and middle income, but also uh, renters too, who get the flow down um, for that rent increase from their owners. So, you know, I think as we as we think about this solution, these solutions as an island, we need to look at um, you know some pretty innovative ideas, and you know the city council needs to look at what's. Uh, um, you know what's available to it, and the multifamily tax exemption, which is allowed by the um, the state, allows uh, local municipalities to enact this tax exemption that gives a you know essentially a tax um, a tax free uh, you know a holiday property tax holiday for 12 years if at least 20% of those units um, are rent restricted for income income qualifying tenants. So, I, to me, I think any everything has to be on the table, and with the affordable housing task force. You know, one of the things I'd, I'd strongly recommend is that we look at kind of the short-term, um, uh, the short-term uh, solutions that we can put out there to alleviate um, uh, the stresses that uh, that many are feeling right now. Well, if you think about the explosion, of, especially in the tech economy, which you and I and Charles were all a part of that, and you see what's happening with Amazon and Google and Facebook and, and Microsoft, and there's explosive growth, growth here, and we're now the second, you know, second to Silicon Valley. So those people that are coming here that are getting these jobs uh, with Amazon and they're looking for places to live, those, some of those people are going to migrate over here. And so I think about this from a perspective of a homeowner who has an EDU or whatever, and they have the option of looking at a renter who's going to be able to pay more because they have more disposable income or somebody that, you know, they could possibly rent to that may not have that same level of income, but then they're trying to deal with the affordable housing and the diversity question. And so in a way, you look at it and say, well, they have a right to make a living on their ADU. I mean, why should we mandate that they take the person that can pay the least? So I can see um, that there's a little bit of conflict there um, with respect to what's happening in our region um, and the growth that we're experiencing and some of the, the laws or policies that people are talking about in order to better integrate our community. Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, you know, and it's it's really interesting you say that, too. And I, I think what we need to do first is really look at, um, you know, who – who needs these? Um, you know, who needs housing right now? What are what are our housing needs? And you know, a great housing needs study was put out, um, you know, not too long ago uh, by the city. And I, I think it's uh, it's a great guide for us to currently uh, look at, so we can do uh, appropriate planning. Um, you know, and we have a couple of uh, young volunteers on the campaign, and and you know, a few of them have said to me that the reason why they wanted to join. Uh, join up with the campaign is to um, because they've got teachers that uh, they really like that they're inspired by but that don't live here on Bainbridge that want to live here on Bainbridge but can but aren't they can't afford to and I, I think the for us it's a message we've got four kids uh, my wife and I and you know we want to we want to teach them that we live in a um, uh, a socioeconomically diverse society and I don't want to be the ones to tell them that you know we had an option to stand up and do something meaningful but but we we couldn't for our public service employees and our firefighters and our police officers so I, I think there's a way in which we need to work with those other um, you know the police the school district to find a way um, you know to, you know, to help coordinate on the uh, these housing options, whether it's you know some sort of housing credit we can uh, we can extend to uh, 
um, public service employees on the island or working with, um, you know, local landowners that do have ADUs, um, you know, to offer them a credit for uh, for accepting a uh, Bainbridge Island public employee. Uh, You know, I think now is the time to really kind of open up the the floodgates of innovative ideas and and kind of throw out the, the old ways of thinking because it hasn't really gotten us to where we need to be. You know, it's interesting how this comes full circle to the PSE and reliability and island power issue because, you know, there was a claim that increased crew availability via island power would improve our community situation. And the counterpoint to that was that we can't even have, you know, administrators and teachers and um, law enforcement couldn't even afford to live here. So why are we talking about, you know, adding so many crews to this island when the salaries that they'd be given would not really allow them to live here? So it's just interesting, you know, just a note about how interesting that comes full circle. Um, Charles, did you have any comments you wanted to make about the affordable housing issue before we move on to some others? Uh, Yeah, I think first off, the whole uh, you have to choose echo or affordable is kind of a false choice because it can certainly be both. I think the reason they prefer echo is because that fits with what a lot of people want, who actually in a lot of cases, they say they want affordable, but there's a a substantial number of people who don't want more people to live here. And the argument has become, let's keep them off the island. But the the underlying thing is they don't realize you can't preserve our quality of life by trying to restrict things. And you will to a certain degree, but this is a balancing act. Like affordable housing is like it's like a journey. It's not a destination, and it's via policy. And I think what what happened right now is people are trying to prevent development because they think that's the threat. But the reality is. There's a threat to our quality of life when our teachers and our firemen and our police officers can't live on island. And I think that's the result of a lot of policies that, you know, look for the special echo project but don't prefer more high-density housing that might be affordable for, for young families. And that affects the schools, and that becomes a feedback loop because if the schools don't have enough money because they don't have enough kids coming into the school, that affects them as well. So all these things are kind of interrelated. It's a, it's a pretty complicated issue. Any comments, Matt? No, I, Charles hit the nail on the head. It's uh, I, I I fundamentally agree that it does not have to be an either or situation between um, uh, between being uh, environmentally uh, responsible and uh, and providing affordable housing for you know those that need it. You know, if if we do really want to practice what we preach, uh, and again going back to the comprehensive plan, uh, the opening one of the opening paragraphs states that we want to be. A you know aim to be a diverse socioeconomically inclusive society and you know right now I'd give us about a D in that measure so and, and this really starts in, in having a community conversation right and and I think it needs to be very and maybe the campaigns that uh, that we're all running now this can be uh, you know a catalyst for that and I, I hope I hope a lot of tough questions are asked because I I do reject the notion that we can't bring affordable housing to um, to a community like Bainbridge. I, I think there is, there is absolutely the will and the want for it. Uh, I think there, um, there needs to be uh, perhaps a little bit more uh, political courage and uh, compromise, um, but hopefully, uh, hopefully we can get there sooner rather than later. Okay. Economic development. So you mentioned the Lone Pine Farm and Studio as a perfect example of an incubator concept that we could replicate here. It's for technology and handiwork-related startups. Now, I've chaired and served on several boards and committees that have tried to make that happen you know, globally, but I'll reserve comment on my observations because I'm really interested in hearing your thoughts about how to implement something like that here. 
Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I'm probably talking to the uh, the right people with you and uh, you and Charles on on here. And you guys have done a, a great job in, you know, promoting, um, you know, technology and, and programming skills throughout the, uh, you know, the West Sound community. And, you know, when, when I'm thinking about economic development, and it's, <laughs> it's, it's interesting, I, I got a lot more uh, attention and a lot more um, maybe vitriol on uh, from uh, from some voters on this than I would have expected, and I, I believe it's because yeah, I, it's it's interesting. I believe it's because you know I think they look at my background and my resume and my putting economic development up, development up on the website and um, thinking it's uh, that I'm I'm for kind of opening the gates to uh, you know to large scale manufacturing and mining on the uh, on the island, which is you know <laughs> which is the uh, the furthest thing, furthest thing from the truth. You know what I think we do need to do is really think about. Um, you know, again, looking to the comprehensive plan, what type of community we want to be. And, you know, if we want to be a community that, um, you know, that offers a well-rounded, holistic way of life um, for uh, a variety of people, then, you know, we need to start thinking through the, uh, the economic dimensions of that as well, too. So, you know, I, I look at, uh, you know, some of the uh, uh, small businesses we have here on the island that have uh, thrived and done well, um, the artisans, at uh, you know the Bainbridge Island Distillers and uh, what we have going on at the Barn Network, and I wonder to myself why couldn't we um, do more in relation to um, you know working with uh, Olympic College and uh, and others to create um, you know smaller scale apprenticeships here on the island focused on uh, maybe additive manufacturing uh, or, um, uh, or or other uh, micro industries that could thrive here and provide um, decent paying jobs, but also uh, potentially uh, alternates for um, our kids coming out of high school that may or may or may not be going down the college path. So uh, again, I, I think it, it, this goes back to my my comment before about you know kind of widening that aperture and, and thinking differently about what kind of island we want to be and not just real, not being happy with the status quo. Um, so that's really why I put this out here. Okay, and it looks like we've got somebody that uh, another caller in. I'm getting flagged. So let's see who this is and what they want to ask you. Okay, who's out there? Hi. Uh, uh, hi there. Uh, my name's Ed, and um, I, I, I just want to know, uh, how, how, have you always considered getting into politics? This is, I'm sorry, this is a question for Mr. Mr. Terman. Uh, have you always considered getting into politics? Is it just something you've always had a passion about, or are you just, is this kind of a new kind of avenue for you? Hi, Ed. Thanks for the question. <laughs> well, you know, I, I think you can probably tell by the fact maybe I'm a little nervous. I'm not a uh, I'm not a natural campaigner, so I'm still getting there. Um, so it's definitely not something that I've uh, um, that I've uh, I, I've long embraced or uh, or desired to sure. do. But you know, I I think it's kind of a right time, right place scenario. Ed, um, I, my sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say I think that's perfect. You know what I mean? Because you know, someone who's just kind of, you know, maybe going to bring some fresh ideas to to the table and, uh, you know, maybe do some really good for Bainbridge Island. Well, thanks, Ed. I, I appreciate it. And, you know, I think that was my intention of getting in is that, you know, as I mentioned uh, before, I, I certainly don't have all the answers. I'm, I'm not an expert on um, on uh, transport, right. on multimodal transportation or, or housing, but I, I do have, a you know, a core set of beliefs. And I, I think I've um, I'm doing a good job um, at least of getting out there and, and meeting as many voters as possible and doing a lot of listening. So um, it's it's been a lot of fun so well, far, and uh, 
for my first foray into uh, politics. It's uh, it's certainly been interesting. I want to ask, um, what what are you going to do? Uh, what are you going to do about the niggers? Oh, so you, this is one of those fun calls where you, you know, just call in. Uh, blacks. Or the, wow. Hello. No, you're yeah, still here. The I niggers, mean, what are we going to do about? What are we going to do about the black people? I mean, they're always fucking shit up. Uh, so it's, I, a, it's a know, shame. I, it's a shame that there are trolls uh, even uh, even on uh, on these shows. Well, I, mean, I, mean, I think sincere. they're trying to. I, I think they're trying to uh, throw us off, and they're behaving as if that word is so unique that it's going to just make us all quake in our boots and go, "Oh my God, somebody use the N word." Grow up. Yeah, no, it's not. Probably. I mean, and if you really want, it, it's not going to work. So just sit tight, listen at, to the show. At the end of the day, and it's thank pro- you for it's thank you for the thank you for the temporary entertainment. So let's get back to it. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. So transportation. You indicated on your website that the city should lead an effort to develop in coordination with Kitsap County a casual carpooling program, as well as promote and encourage ride share to park and rides and uh, to the ferry and whatnot. And so you. Um, we're in D.C., and so was I for a while. It has a long-standing slugging or carpooling program, and they have apps there like right. Split and Via and whatever else. And other similar offerings are in congested places like San Francisco, Houston, whatever. So what would you recommend or initiatives, you know, would you recommend beyond the current efforts and initiatives that we have here right now, like, you know, park and ride and stuff like that? Yeah, it's uh, it's great to hear the uh, – uh, you know of uh, the good old slug lines in the in the D.C. metro area too. It's uh, it was a, it was a lifesaver when uh, when my wife and I were first uh, you know starting our family in uh, in the D.C. suburbs out in Burke. Uh, I used to take the slug lines in from uh, um, from Burke to uh, to downtown D.C. And for those that don't know what they are, it's uh, it's great. It's a um, it's a publicly uh, publicly organized program where they have pre-designated uh, spots around um, uh, around the D.C. area to where uh, you know if you're getting a ride in from the southern part uh, southern suburbs, if you need a ride in from the southern suburbs to D.C., there are pre-designated spots to meet and private riders that uh, drivers that want to use the HOV lanes but um, only have themselves in the car, they can stop at these um, uh, slug lines and pick up passengers so they can ride in the HOV. Uh, doing something like that, and not, not to say that that, uh, that exact model uh, would work here in the, uh, in the Kitsap area, uh, but certainly, again, I, I think it's, uh, we need to find a way uh, to get the uh, single passenger cars uh, reduced um, massively coming over the, uh, over the bridge. Uh, and if, if that's one way to do it, and in partnership with uh, Bainbridge Island, in partnership with uh, Kitsap County and Kitsap County Transit, then, um, then more, power, uh, more power to it. So I think that's certainly worth looking into. We also need to you know, think here on Bainbridge what we can do ourselves um, outside of uh, uh, the Kitsap Transit District and, and, count, and the county uh, about how we can uh, increase uh, our um, uh, non-vehicular transportation um, or you know non uh, you know our um, car transportation on the island. So we we've got a you know one of the highest populations of uh, senior citizens. You know I think nearly 33% of our island is made up of uh, of seniors. So it's uh, it's critical that we need to uh, start thinking of ways in which we can uh, um, you know kind of uh, bring about a, a greater transportation solution that that connects more people here on the island that. Um, you know that reduces that um, that sense of uh, of isolation. So you know mobility is certainly going to be a, a large part of the discussion moving forward in the campaign. 
And, of course, you know, you can put the parking lot and the 305 overpass um, discussions in this category, but you can also put it in economic development. And where do you stand on those two? I'm sorry. Could you repeat that one more time? You, you phased out there for one second. Oh, sorry. I was talking about the uh, – there's some discussion. And, Charles, maybe you, you're spending a lot of more uh, time on Facebook than I am, so you know more about the uh, concerns that are rising up with citizens with the parking lot and the 305 overpass. Do you want to jump in on that? Well, well, I wouldn't say I know a lot more, okay, but the idea is to build a parking garage uh, kind of where oh, the, the existing garage, gravel yeah. parking lots are behind Winslow Way. And obviously there's it, – ra- it raises a lot of hot buttons for a lot of people. You know, for me, looking at economic development, we know that we still have a very car-centric economy. People need places to park their cars when they come to visit. Uh, just the number of employees and city hall puts a lot of stress into downtown parking, as well as you know visitors and commercial spots and vendors and places for the employees to park. So it's an, it's an ongoing issue, and so I'm, you know, I guess in general I'm in favor of it. But then some people have been very adamantly opposed in thinking that uh, city hall is, you know, executing a very nefarious plan and trying to you know sideline groups. It, it just becomes a very contentious issue. I don't know all the details, but I will say I think we do have to do something to help solve the parking garage problem, and I don't think vilifying City Hall is the way to do it, but I certainly want to listen to the people to say, okay, well, what's your alternative? You know, instead of just, you know, throwing rocks at people. <laughs> so yeah. Um, yeah, I guess that's as much as I know. I hear a lot of rock throwing. I don't hear a lot of alternative solutions. Um, so w- with like regard that. to the um, the Winslow uh, parking garage, yeah, I, I think we've – so the city's entered into a, um, a parking and transportation – downtown transportation study with a, an outside consultant for around 25 grand to look at the, uh, the options. And, and the options don't only don't, – they're not only um, including the parking garage, but also how we can uh, free up uh, parking on – um, existing um, existing streets within the downtown. So I, you know, I'd, I'd welcome looking at the um, you know that study and and seeing ways in which we can uh, you know alleviate some of the parking uh, mess for the downtown businesses and because uh, I think that's really important. I myself on the on the face of it, I'm I'm not in favor of a you know a downtown parking structure, especially you know when you consider that again, I think this is going to be another measure that probably has to go back to the uh, to the voters and uh, I think there's definite bond and levy fatigue right now. So we'll, I think we'll have to deal with that as it comes. But, you know, let's look at the transportation and parking study first. The, the 305 overpass, um, uh, are, you, are you referring to the, uh, uh, the bridge connecting uh, Nectal Way to, um, to Vineyard Lane? Is that what you were talking about? Right, because there is the other yeah. project where you come straight off the ferry and it's the biking and, and walking that's and whatever. Right. And that's, you know, obviously some people are going to disagree with it, but a lot of people seem to think it's a good idea, whereas the overpass seems to be one of those WTF moments where people are still trying to figure out, you know, whether it's necessary and how much it costs and what it's going to look like, and so that's that's a different conversation. It, it is, it is, and I, I attended the uh, the study um, or the study session on uh, Wednesday when uh, at the uh, city hall, and, the, and they brought the consultant out to talk through uh, the design options, and it's uh, it's still in its early phases. But you know, again, I, I think there's when you look at you know the community's um, reaction to. Uh, and there, I think there may be lack of faith currently in the in the city council, and um, and goes back to what I said before about uh, how they're currently spending our tax dollars, and are they spending it on the right things? Well, 
you know, good on the city for finding, um, you know, this uh, million-dollar grant, uh, federal grant, to support the uh, building of this bridge. But, uh, again, our city is going to be paying 630000 for the uh, the design study and then another 400 thousand in 2019 to chip in toward the construction. And, you know, I, I've got to ask, and, you know, I have asked is, you know, what community does this serve? It's it's designed to bridge that, that east-west divide over 305 um, and connect those neighborhoods. Um, you know, I, I understand that, but is the bridge in the right place? Um, is is that a large enough population to serve? Um, what What is going to be the actual usage of it? It seems like a, a lot of funds to use uh, for very little, um, uh, very little output. So, you know, again, it goes back to me to strategic priorities. What what do we want to spend our um, our finite amount of resources on, um, and uh, and how can we make the most bang for our buck on that? Uh, this bridge is to me seems to be a little bit of a, a foolhardy project. Do you have any thoughts, Charles, before we move into the next topic? I think on that one, I might pass. You're right. I mean. Uh... <laughs> I know there's a lot of bicyclists, and I know that's an active community, and I really don't know the bigger vision of what they think they're going to be able to accomplish connecting the two sides of, 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 the, of the community. It, it might be great if it's within the walking distance and it becomes a much more walkable and dense community connector. I see those as the pro arguments. The con arguments obviously are the expense. Um, you you gotta you got to watch where you're putting your public dollars. As as far as whether or not it could create a benefit, it's probably. Well, I'll say this: this would create more benefit than spending money on a condemnation lawsuit. <laughs> so, you know, whether it still justifies it, uh, that I'm not sure of. But um, you know, I haven't really gone through all the arguments, and uh, so I'm kind of, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm still watching, playing watch and see. Yeah, and, and please, no one get me, you know. Don't don't take it the wrong way here. I, I think that's you know those are funds that we could absolutely use to, you know, do, do things like widening um, uh, widening shoulders on some of the most dangerous roads on the island. Eagle Harbor, you know, uh, Drive being one of them. Um, so I, I think there's you know there's a lot of great ideas that some community groups like Squeaky Wheels have put together around a comprehensive island bike um, you know bike lane plan, and a lot of that I think could have um, could be incredibly beneficial. Uh, I just see a bridge, number one, not being very fiscally responsible uh, by the council, but also um, I, I don't see it really keeping in character with uh, with the island as well, too, which is something that you know I think really needs to be considered. So appreciate the comments on here for you, from you guys, and uh, we're going to move into the public safety uh, discussion. But I wanted to throw, throw a quick note because I'm starting to get some chat stuff from CJ about the guy that called it. Look, I mean, seriously, folks. You can't live on this planet long enough and do what you do and put yourself out there and, and pierce the glass ceiling and whatnot and not come across people that want to get some attention. Don't worry about what happened on this show. It's it's minor. It was somebody that was just – it was like a kid with a rattler. They probably don't even believe what they were saying. They were just doing it because they wanted to disrupt the show. So don't let them and let's not give it any more attention. Without further ado um, – you support a new facility for the police department, and you said you would look favorably on hiring additional officers. Um, again, another interesting subject in light of the community discussion that we've had around here regarding the increasingly burdensome taxation on residents, number one, and the fact that so many of our law enforcement and teachers and so forth can't afford to live here. So how do you propose to balance these concerns while improving public safety? 
Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And and you know, I think our our police officers on the island and, and Chief Hamner in particular deserve a lot of uh, uh, I think our admiration and respect for for what they do. Uh, in particular, um, you know, I think Chief Hamner has done a good job of turning around a uh, um, a uh, police force that, that certainly needed a, a change. Um, you know, to that end as well, he's done it uh, with, um, you know, an infrastructure that they're currently in uh, that is, um, you know, it's it's not the not the most, uh, I would say, up-to-date, uh, modern, or, or frankly, um, uh, safe building for uh, for our officers. So I'm definitely in support of, uh, uh, of a new uh, new facility for them. Uh, I wish that um, uh, I wish that they'd gone in another direction and uh, that they were uh, they could have been housed with the uh, the fire department. I think that would have been the most prudent um, prudent course of action. Uh, but I, I'm in support of, of finding a cost-effective way to uh, to get the police uh, a new uh, a new facility, something that is a compromise with uh, you know environmental standards as well as you know getting them a structure and a facility that will last a long time. Um, you know, in my chats with um, with with uh, Chief Hamner. You know, from a, a Manning standpoint, it looks like you know we do need uh, one or two more officers to you know to kind of match the ratio of um, uh, of the population that they serve. Um, you know, I, I would love to see us think through uh, as a city um, the type of officers that we want to bring on. Uh, you know, there are uh, there's a high uh, percentage of domestic violence calls here on the island. Um, so thinking through um, officers that are trained. Um, or that have the uh, requisite experience and in dealing with those types of um, uh, of calls, I think is going to be important. Um, and I think it needs to represent the uh, you know that those type of hiring decisions certainly need to represent the type of city that we want to uh, that we want to see. I was thinking about the um, the last time we had the vote on whether or not we wanted the police station, and I think part of it had to do with the price, you know, the, the price tag on it. The other part of it had to do with the building that was being selected and the uh, problems that were going to be coming with that, and, you know, the environmental issues and the costs that were going to be the remediation costs for that and whatnot. But, again, I mean, I also think that people are really kind of fatigued. They're very disenchanted with, you know, what happened with, the, you know, the school board and the levies and what's happening after they actually agreed to that and, and Blakely, and so there's a lot of there's a, a lot of uh, you know like we've talked about before a lot of discontent in this community about a lot of different things, which leads to fatigue, which leads to pushback. So it'll be interesting to see you know a lot of the things that we're talking about getting done, including public safety and the new facility and and more officers and, and how we're going to end up balancing all of that. Absolutely. Charles, do you have any comments or questions for for Matt on that or? Uh, I, I think I'm in favor of a new location for the facility. Um, some people say they like the police building being right there by the entrance to the island. It sends a message, but it, it doesn't. I don't think it has to be there. I think that could be a commercial location as well, uh, and it would be very valuable land. Um, I think the last time they did the, the bond the police station, they were looking at taking over that property that would have been environmentally contaminated and paying. Right. I don't know. I don't think they were getting a discount on the land. So I think it rubbed people the wrong way that we were going to be paying for immediate land and somebody else was going to get the profit out of that. And I think if they had split the difference, at least at some well, at some level, it would have been a win-win. But I don't think it was written up that way. It was kind of pushed too, too quickly. So that, that I think, was part of the issue. And then people said, well, look at how much you're asking for. And, you know, that was, that was another part of the problem. So if they end up putting the police station over by – where the uh, fire station is and then having kind of an, an area over there. I think that's kind of the preferred solution right now. 
So yeah. I, I like the discussions that are happening and all the concerns and weighing the pros and cons. Uh, there seems to be a good level of discussion uh, to try to keep it on course. So I think that part is, I think, doing pretty well. So, Matt, we have about three to four minutes left. Uh, what else do you want us to know about you or your campaign or your position on issues? Yeah, for sure. And, and this has been this has been a fantastic conversation, and, and I really do appreciate you inviting me uh, me on. And I hope that uh, that other uh, candidates take you up on it because I think it's a it's another uh, another great uh, um, you know channel for us to kind of get our message out there. You know, I, I would say the one thing that's really taken me by surprise, or took me by surprise before even entering the race, was you know I think just how um, uh, just how uh, the lack of transparency I think right now in our city government. Um, you know, if you if you go on to most, um, I would say, progressive um, city council websites here on the West Coast, um, you know, you don't have to look very hard to see where your city council members stand on issues or how they voted um, on um, on various uh, uh, city ordinances or resolutions. Uh, here on Bainbridge, it's uh, it's a monumental task, and you know, I think there's a there's a <laughs> there's a few kind folks out there that um, that run blogs and other sites to kind of shine a light on that, but it, it shouldn't be that way in 2017. So, um, you know, one one thing that I'd li- really like to take on if elected is, you know, I think you'll find uh, you know you'll find my views and my votes on the uh, current city council uh, council member blog, which is never updated, but you'll find uh, every vote that I have and every. Uh, everything of substance that I'm thinking related to the city on there, so you have that commitment from me. Um, but you'll also, you know, see me pushing to get, you know, our website and our uh, our citizens portal uh, into the uh, the late 21st century because right now it's not there. So I don't have that on my website. I probably should, uh, and I should be talking about it more. But I, I think that's a really critical part that's uh, that's missing from our um, our local government. And I think it also goes to, you know, some of the comments and complaints that we're hearing about, even with the campaigns right now with candidates that are running. I mean, obviously, I don't think that you should ask someone 20 times how they stand on island power, especially, you know, if they don't want to answer it or they've already shown they don't want to answer it or they've already answered it to what they believe is their satisfaction. I mean, even that response will will be revealing. But, you know, I, I would think that anyone that's asked a question will, especially in the lessons that we're learning right now with the disenchantment um, with our current, some of our current candidates or some of our current uh, elected officials, is to just come out with it and live with it and, and make sure that you have a strong enough case with all the other issues that you're passionate about so that people can look at that, reasonable people anyway, and, and weigh those decisions and weigh those positions so that they can make an informed decision instead of trying to duck and weave and be vague. I mean, I, I have people that I actually really like and have worked with and, you know, it, it just really have a lot of respect for them. But in this instance, with respect to their campaign, they're not going to get my vote because they're being very, very vague, and, and that's just not that's not the introductory uh, step that you want to take when you're trying to tell the community that you're willing to serve them and be transparent. It's just not what you do. So um, do you want to give us your website URL and your Facebook page or whatever the best way to keep track of what you're doing is? Yeah, absolutely, and thank you for that opportunity. So uh, voters out there can uh, can see all the issues, who I am, who I've been endorsed by. I'm very proud that uh, I've been endorsed by um, the uh, International Association of Machinists and Aerospace and the Pacific Northwest Region Council of Carpenters. Um, I think getting those two endorsements for me is um, it's a real honor because these folks stand for working families and for great wages, which uh, uh, is, is 
is big for me. So I'm, I'm real proud of that. They can see all the issues uh, by going to www.tierman4bainbridge.com. And then you can also find us um, on the uh, candidate, my candidate Facebook page. Um, go onto Facebook and you can type in at Tierman for Bainbridge Island. Um, I usually do at least one coffee with the candidate uh, most every weekend. Uh, we're starting to get out there doorbelling now. Going to hopefully try to hit at least 2,000 uh, homes by the uh, uh, the November election. And uh, you'll see us out at uh, the Taste of Linwood in September and a lot of other events. So uh, please keep uh, checking the events on our page. Awesome. So it looks like I figured it. I was right on track here. Thank you so, so that's much. A wrap. For the time. Thank you so much, Matt. And thanks to everyone for tuning in this afternoon. You can listen to this podcast on our website, on iTunes, Stitcher, tune in. Also on our Facebook page at backslash STR8 Talk Radio. That's Sam Tommy Roger, the number eight Talk Radio. Really appreciate Matt taking the time to share his thoughts and for Charles for joining in. And we'll be back here on Monday, July 31st at 1 p.m., like I said before, with Central Ward candidate Rasham Nassar. Donya Keating, signing off at about 3.29 Pacific Daylight Time on Friday, July 28th. See you next time. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.